podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts, Paul Ducklin. Hello, folks. Peter McKenzie. Hi, everyone. And Alice Duckett. Hi. Hi. How are you all? Super duper. Great. Thank you. Nice to be back. I'm over lockdown now. Oh, you're over lockdown. Yeah, I know the feeling. Don't get too far over it. That could cost you 60 quid. £30 if you pay within two weeks. In the UK, Peter, are you in the? Uh, are you in a suitable pillow fort, or are you just? I am on a bed with my laptop on my lap, with <laughs> oh. the microphone balanced on top of that, and then a small side table balanced on my legs that's holding a blanket duvet <laughs> over the top of all of me in a fairly rubbish tent kind of that structure. That seems like something that's going to be sustainable for an hour. No. That sounds like it's going to be really mm. comfortable, yeah. actually. It sounds like I'm running out of air. Endurance yeah. challenge to me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long my air is going to last, so we should probably continue. <laughs> you need to upgrade. <laughs> you need to upgrade to an under-the-table situation. <laughs> Alice has got the, the star tent. Yeah. I do. So I missed usual, our recording studio. <laughs> as usual, we've picked the top three stories from the week to discuss on the podcast. So coming up on today's show, Duck's going to be talking about a word that could crash your iPhone. Peter's going to be covering a recent ransomware attack. He's not a one-trick pony. And Alice will be talking about Facebook's new human-like chatbot. Before all that, here's a quick roundup of a few other stories from the last week or so. GoDaddy has filed a data breach notification in California. If you're affected, you'll see a message along these lines. We recently identified suspicious activity on a subset of our servers and immediately began an investigation. The investigation found that an authorised individual has access to your login information used to connect to SSH on your hosting account. We have no evidence that any files were added or modified on your account. Uh, The breach dates back to October 2019, so even though resetting your account at this stage was something that GoDaddy needed to do, anyone who knew your login details could potentially have been rifling through your stuff for more than six months. So for that reason, GoDaddy says it also recommends you conduct an audit of your hosting account. An unsecured Elasticsearch database has been found online hosting some very intimate details. You're kidding. Open database online? I know, so rare. Who knew? The database belongs to adult site Cam4, which is a streaming site for people to watch live explicit performances. It offers customers the ability to buy virtual tokens if they want to tip performance or watch private shows. The database was a whopping seven terabytes large and had nearly 11 billion records, which included information such as the usual names, emails, and password hashes, which is pretty standard, but also included things like gender preference and sexual orientation, payment logs, conversations between users and CAM4, conversations oh between users and other users. Oh, dear, dear. And, traps, and transcripts of email correspondence and more. So, Oh, dear, yeah. dear, dear. Mm, yeah, it's definitely going to get used by yeah, bad guys right. and blackmail. I'm thinking yeah. Ashley Madison. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the database has been knocked down um, and it's unknown whether any naughty people got their hands on the data while it was available. So let's hope not and let's hope it's not going to be used. Um of course, it could be used in um, phishing attacks and things like that to uh, persuade you to hand over some. Yeah. Well, yeah, because even if that data doesn't actually get into the wrong hands because it's now a story, yeah. if you did use that site and you were paranoid and then you got that email, you wouldn't know whether they did have that information exactly. on you or not. Yeah, and Ashley Madison ended up in a lot of uh, sad, sad people as a result. So let's hope that no one else got it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> So of all the uh, things that coronavirus has brought us, puppies and kittens, it has not. The Better Business Bureau, which is hard to say, and unfortunately I'm going to have to say it twice, has announced an increase in what they're calling puppy scams. But actually it means any kind of pet scam. So where you pay up front for your new pet 
like a dog, a cat, a fish, budget, whatever, tarantula, but the pet never arrives. Um, I guess more time at home and everyone being bored means people are thinking it's a good time to invest in some pet time. Isn't that right, Peter? <laughs> we may have just got chickens joining. <laughs> do they count as pets or are they working animals? They actually they don't. They count as um, livestock. Yeah. Okay, but uh, so, so you've actually bit... got them. You're not waiting for them to arrive via <laughs> mail order. Who knew you could mail order pets? That sounds very weird <laughs> yeah, to me. Can. But there you go. Well, so the Better Business Bureau says that nearly 85 percent of those who post pictures of pets for sale are actually dirty dogs themselves, and uh, so it's sort of like a catfish for pets. 85 so percent of those ads online is quite crazy that they're not they don't amount oh, to really a, so people put kitten. fake pet ads out you pay and the pet doesn't yeah, exist you don't get the pet at the end it is so like they just bit. leech the photos oh. from somebody else's posting like yeah, romance scammer style yeah. yeah it is yeah just like romance scammer so if you do a reverse image search, presumably, and you see someone else, five other people are selling yeah, the same pet, best yeah. stay away. That puppy mm. looks cute. There but are you realistically, there. when you're buying a puppy, going to reverse image search? Well, you should be. That's the thing, If I you're guess. going to shell out hundreds of dollars for something you haven't seen, can't see, and are hoping that the person's legit, it might be a smart plan. Mm. <laughs> so on to this week's stories. Duck, what what am I not supposed to be texting on my iPhone this week? <laughs> yes, uh, the crash word, I think we'll call it. Uh, this is a story we've, we've a type of story we've covered a few times before in the past. It re- this one relates to iPhones. Uh, some of the previous ones we've covered also were Apple. One was actually not just not specific to a phone, it was WhatsApp. And the problem in this case was somebody discovered that if you write a, a, a sort of bogus word in using Arabic uh, and include it in a text, then it doesn't quite crash your phone, but it's so complicated or it, it freaks out iOS so much when it tries to make sense of this meaningless word that it basically bogs down your phone and you pretty much have to end up shutting down and restarting. And of course, that led to people going, well, how hard can text be? You know, there's a word and then a space and then a word and then a space. But of course, the problem in the modern era where we're trying to support people from all across the world with lots of different writing styles is that not every language is as simple in its written form as English, where you've got 26 lowercase letters, 26 uppercase letters, some digits and a few punctuations, and that's kind of all you need. And the problem is that when you're trying to incorporate and potentially mix together lots of different writing styles and different alphabets or syllabaries, text processing, even with modern processors, is surprisingly hard and sometimes computers kind of get into infinite loops about it. So do, has this, have we seen this happening a lot? It's infrequent, but of course, unfortunately, these things tend to get a huge amount of publicity because what typically happens, and folks, this is the, this is the word of advice uh, in this particular story. Uh, what happens is somebody says, oh, don't send the word banana to all your friends. It'll crash their phone. So Barbara Streisand effect, guess what happens next? Mm. Everybody's texting this things like thing like crazy. So your messaging system on your phone ends up not just getting one of these rogue messages that it tries to present for notification, which bogs down the CPU a bit. It might have 20 or 30 of them from all your well-intentioned, fun-seeking friends. <laughs> and of course, that just makes a, a, a potentially annoying problem that much worse. No sniggering, Peter. Sorry. So uh, so if someone receives this text string, which we're not going to say what it is, um, you just have to reset your phone, yeah? It's not going to do any damage to your phone. 
apparently either the messaging app will bog down and you but you might be able to kill that off or in some cases people are saying oh it just got very slow and then eventually it displayed the message and then i was able to delete it some people myself included and uh, a chap from the uae who commented on naked security who obviously is fluent in english and arabic said he tried like crazy to get this thing to crash his own phone deliberately sending himself the message brave man um uh, and it didn't crash his phone so the, the circumstances that cause it to happen aren't quite known, but it, it, it could happen that you receive a message, the notification pops up, and there's something in the message that is just super complicated to process. So if your phone seems to go into meltdown, starts running hot, you can't do much else, you might want to try just restart doing a hard reset. So on an iPhone, you just hold down the power button, or I think on a more recent iPhone, you hold volume and then the power button or the wake key, mm. and you hold those down for a while, and then you get that iPhone slider that says, are you sure you want to shut down? And you shut down your phone, and of course, when it reboots, all the apps start afresh, memories reallocated, the sins of the past are forgotten, and so on. <laughs> um, so that usually seems to solve the problem in this case, or you may ne- it may never happen to you. But the big advice is, guys, when this when you when you when you get news like this, don't jump into the message thread saying, "Yes, I saw that message. It looks like this." You know, you're pretending <laughs> you're pretending to be helpful, but your goal is really just to mess up all your buddies. Don't do it. It's a pain for everybody. Needless pain for everybody. And with most of IT, the solution is turn it off and on again. <laughs> Yes, it's surprising. that. So the good news here is this is not the kind of bug that, uh, it, it, particularly in the recent case, uh, it's not the kind of bug where the crooks can actually take control of your phone as a result. So it looks as though it's simply in a loop that takes ages to process because of the inherent complexity of, of rendering particular character combinations. Um, because, of course, some languages, they don't, they don't just have the letters in simple sequence like in English. There may be things that say, well, here's a letter, and then you need some marks above the letter and below the letter. And what happens if you say, well, you've got the equivalent in English, say, I want a letter E. Oh, by the way, put an acute accent on it. Oh, put 20 more. Put five graph accents on it. Put three circumflexes. Then put no accent at all. <laughs> you can imagine how this is quite hard for programmers to predict and very, very hard to test because it's really almost impossible to get all the test cases you need to test every possible way of combining every possible character in every possible written language. So the moral of the story is don't send this message or similar to your friends. That is the long and the short of it. It's not really funny and once is enough, Which and the once is the initial notification. Uh, you know, you'll notice if you read the Naked Security article on this, we were very careful. We described the character combination, but we didn't actually put it in the message. So A, you wouldn't see it, and B, you couldn't copy and paste it to anybody else. Mm. Cool, thank you. So, Peter... You're not a one-trick pony. You brought me on for yeah. Brought me in for another ransomware story, haven't you? Well, and realistically, it is um, what I spend most of my time dealing with um, because they're the most sort of serious incidents that uh, cause organisations to seek extra help. Um, Unlike you know a phishing email or a DDoS attack or anything like that, you know they Mm -hmm. these are quite devastating attacks, and that's uh, sort of reflected by the increase in ransom demands. 
over the and years. Peter, when you dig in, you usually find there's actually much more to fix than just, hey, we had a malware attack. There's a whole yeah. sea of stuff behind it, right? So it's actually quite an involved situation with or without ransomware. Yeah, I mean, that's that. I've, I've said this before. I mean, we always ask the, the victim or the, the organization that's been attacked, you know, when do you think this attack started? And typically their answer is uh, last night, this morning, when they started seeing files get encrypting, basically. Uh, but the reality is it's, it's normally weeks or even months before that the attackers, you know, gained their original access and started planning it. You know, gone are the days, well, they're not gone, but um, not as common, uh, when you know, the ransomware itself was actually attached to the email and you receive an email, you click on the attachment and it starts encrypting that, Um, you know, that's the days of locky ransomware and stuff like that. That was much simpler times in, in in reality, really compared to what organizations. Yeah. Look at that GoDaddy story that Anna talked about earlier. They're reporting a data breach that they've noticed now happened in October last year. Mm -hmm. It can be, it can be, there can be a long time between, um, a long slip between cup and lip, as it were. <laughs> so the one I was going to cover today, um, this uh, I've get, I've left a little bit of time. So if a few months have gone past um, since when this originally happened, um, and I'm not going to say which ransomware family it was that did this second attack. There's a little spoiler alert there. Um, oh. Because uh, it, it's still a little bit fresh for the organization involved. Um, so... It was one of the the big ones that we've talked about though uh, in the past. So basically, what happened was uh, towards the end of February, uh, a customer, well, not a customer at the time, but an organisation in the states got hit by this ransomware, uh, and they came to us um, for help in dealing with this. And we, as I said, we asked them, you know, when do you think this started? And they said, yes, it was. We started seeing encryption this morning, and it had encrypted about 90% of their network, which was uh, around about 400 endpoints and 20 or 30 servers, uh, all encrypted. Um, And, of course, this had brought the company to its knees, really. They stopped business, uh, stopped, you know, all trading, sent staff home. Uh, This was before COVID and all this kind of stuff had started. And um, we started investigating it, and we identified that the ransomware had been deployed from one of their domain controllers. So on the domain controller, their primary domain controller, they had created a shared folder. They had put the executable inside that folder. And then via, uh, I think it was a GPO, they pushed out um, or they installed a service on every machine in the organization. That service basically ran and said, execute this file that's located on the share on this server. So it didn't copy the file to the machine. Mm. It just ran it across the network and then it started, you know, encrypting files on those machines that ran it. Um, so that was actually um, quite lucky um, for the sort of containment side of things because all we had to do was shut down that domain controller and none of those machines could access that file anymore. Um, but of course, by the time we had got involved, you know, most of the attack was already over. So the machines were already encrypted. It just sort of prevented new machines from uh, being turned on and getting the service. So we started investigating and uh, we identified that one of the domain admins had logged into the server shortly before the attack. And that domain admin had logged in from the uh, organization's main file server. So we started looking into that as well. And 
eventually we identified quite a few interesting things. So um, first of all, we found on the file server that, so this attack was at the end of February, but at the end of January, the attackers had installed Mega. Uh, Mega, if you're familiar with things like OneDrive and Google Drive, you know, Mm. any sort of cloud storage syncing application, Mega, um, which is, I forget the website. That's the Kim.com story, right? The guy in New Zealand who's fighting extradition to the US. (laughs) Yeah, so Kim.com had Mega Upload originally, which was a very fairly dodgy um, sort of file storage system. He then went and He disagrees. (laughs) He does disagree, yeah. Um, He went and then created Mega, which I think is Mega.co.com, NZ in New Zealand, and um, that's in theory a more legitimate. No, I think it isn't anymore because the New Zealand, the New Zealand domain guys said, "No, nah, we don't think so." <laughs> Fair enough. Well, either way, so it's it's similar to you know any of these other um, applications where you install the client on the machine, choose which folders you want to sync up with the cloud, and then it starts uploading them to the cloud. And it's it's, you know, it's a very secure application. They don't know what data is being uploaded to them. It's all encrypted and all that kind of stuff. But uh, what the attackers were simply doing was installing it on the file server and choosing the locations of you know all the sort of sensitive data and um, allowing it to automatically sync to the cloud and basically steal or exfiltrate all this data over a number of days. It was left running. So... I mean, there's a, a lot of different yeah. ways people can steal data and you can, you know, it could be something sort of more old school, like just uploading it via FTP. Um, but using a legitimate application and just leaving it running to not only steal the data in the first place, but because it's, a, a, you know, a live sync, that means while the customer was still using this data, those files were getting updated on the file server and then were being resynced up to the cloud. So the attackers were always getting the most up-to-date copies of the files as well. So um, quite a sneaky trick, really. Mm. And Peter, even worse, as I mentioned, with something like Mega, like with, say, Firefox's Send, part of the idea is that the encryption is done with a key that's generated in your browser or on your computer by their app. So even if you realize and you get a court order and you go to Mega, part of their part of their pitch is we cannot retrieve the data only the person who installed the app can. Yeah. So it's like the crooks have got the sort of perfect lockdown as well, haven't they? All, all yeah. kind of for free. Because I presume yeah. they're using the trial version when yeah. they're doing the free, this. Yeah, we, we checked this as well. The free version allows five gig of data uploaded per day. And five gig per day. obviously contains a lot of data inside it. And that's, yeah, per day, as you say. Um, so, yeah, so we, we discovered that they'd obviously taken potentially a lot of data. Uh, and we kept on... Um, trying to track back the attack to the attack chain to see if we could figure out how they gained access in the first place. And this was initially actually made quite a bit more complicated by the fact that at the beginning of January, around January 10th, this same organization was hit by Ryuk ransomware. Um, So two different ransomware groups had attacked Mm. them in just over a month. And, um, Obviously, this became very interesting to us because we were like, well, is there is there a connection between these two? Are uh, they working together? And it was made even more complicated by the fact that when Ryuk was being deployed across their network for the first attack in January, 
the attackers for this second ransomware attack, they were doing stuff on the network as well. In fact, they um, had installed a backdoor, a, a legitimate application that sets up a, pro- a proxy connection uh, to an IP address in the Netherlands. And it was happening on the day before the Ryak attack. So we so were two lots of crooks in there at once. Two lots of crooks. Very well, they didn't notice each other. <laughs> well, they <laughs> did to an extent. I mean, I can't imagine. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but that's terrible. I know. Well, I can't imagine that the <laughs> second lot didn't spot the Ryak attack happening the day after they were doing their stuff. It had been. I mean, fairly obvious stuff was happening. Even though... If oh, they, you log in and there's nothing left. Yeah, exactly, and there's <laughs> ransom notes on the desktop and stuff. So whether or not they did or not at that point, we do know later on they did and possibly had a chuckle about it, to be honest. So um, it was three days before the second ransomware attack was launched. We were looking at um, sort of forensic evidence collected from the file server, and we found that the admin account they'd compromised, the domain admin account, um, was logged into the server through RDP, connected from a, another machine, and they were having a look around the machine, opening up different files. And at one point, at like 3 a.m., they found one of the right ransom notes and opened it up. So they yeah. definitely saw the ransom note at that point and um, probably, I imagine, found that quite amusing. But um, so they yeah. sort of then keep their heads down and figured, hey, look, well, if we keep that our back door open, then when they recover, we can wander back in and hit them again because the right guys will probably figure time to move on to someone else. Yeah, that's you what think I that's think what it was. Yeah, so we we know the the most of the data was stolen at the end of January, but then the attack wasn't for another three or four weeks later. So yeah, it looks like they did give them a bit of time to recover to then hit them again with you know their their version of the ransomware um which as i said i'm not listing um but we when we were investigating it and as i said we found so they, did they know what demand the rent riot guys had put in place so did they know to pitch their no, feet i've no idea but this ransom demand um started at two million us dollars did it go up or down from there it did go up yes so um that's quite high isn't it for a ransomware demand or is it um well it's not in the ones i investigate um anything above six digits is fairly common now um uh, five million is a common uh, one for Riot um, to charge as well. Uh, partly because they know it's the cyber insurance policy that's going to be paying most yeah. of it, so they can up it for that reason. Um, mm. These people didn't have cyber insurance, uh, unfortunately. Um, oh so yeah, and as I say, it started at that amount, but within um, I think it was uh, one day of the attack, the attackers started emailing the admins of the organization uh, saying that they needed to come to the negotiation table. You know, they had to go to the um, the Onion site where they'd communicate with them and uh, start talking about how they were going to pay. And if oh. they didn't, that uh, they have stolen data and they would start publishing it. Oh. These threats continued. Um for about a week or so, um, the amount of emails kept increasing. The amount of information on those emails was increasing, including um, sort of proof that data had been stolen, social security numbers and stuff like that. So this uh, is stuff presumably the crooks already had from their mega account that exactly. they were just filtering were through, through and using pulling the lever harder and harder and yeah. harder. And then in what is quite a rare situation, the attackers actually phoned the victim. Oh, 
Oh, so wow. using like a voice no changer, pressure, right? a hidden number and everything. But they started phoning up. They actually phoned the head of like the IT department, the one whose account had been compromised or one of the accounts had been compromised. And um, they read off his date of birth and his social security number to him. Oh, and, oh my goodness. Yeah, they said you have to come and join the negotiations. And um, this... What um, accent did they have? It was a voice changer, so it was like a small child's voice. Yeah, it was, it was quite freaky, child. actually. Oh, that's a yeah. shame. Um, that's quite scary. That or it wasn't a voice changer, and it was yeah, actually, that's really it was, scary. It was actually a small child. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, uh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so these phone calls continued, um, phoning random members of staff. Uh, well, not random, because they, they then read out their details to them as well. Um, and then finally it ended saying, um, if you don't uh, come and speak to us in the next two hours, um, we will double the ransom demand to $4 million. Uh, so which, they were sort of trying to turn the staff yeah. against the IT department by saying, hey, we know this on you, and if they don't pay, you're going to be yeah. in the firing line as well. Well, very much so. So, I mean, if you already imagine the stress that the uh, the – the admins and the you know the management of this company were under at this point um, is you know it's definitely not a good day at work that's for sure. Um, but yes, yeah, so they gave this. So there two was hour... no dot. We apologise in this one. <laughs> no, no, we're not terribly like sorry. Sam, Sam, no. Um, so yeah. they gave this two-hour deadline for the um, ransom on doubling. That came and went. Um, so it went up to four million because uh, they then... weren't able to pay anyway, right? So no, the they, doubling, they had no, no ability to pay. No. Um, and we were already helping them recover um, their systems, and they were just rebuilding everything by this point anyway. They actually had a pretty quick recovery. Um, they had Good lost most of their backups, but um, some of them were intact. But what's the situation about them leaking their company data? Is that just yeah, really bad um, for them? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to comment too much on that, but, yeah, data was um, published uh, law enforcement and all the right legal things are in place for that. Yeah, so the, the two-hour deadline came and went, went up to four million. And then the next day, in something I've never seen before, the attackers, because they'd obviously got all of the details from the customer already, including um, all the contact details of their staff, the attackers sent an email to all of the employees telling them their data had been compromised and was going to be wow. published unless their bosses came back and negotiated a payment. It's like so. it's like from oh a film, isn't it? Mm. It's it's the kind of thing that you'd have as a plot in a film. Yeah, I'm sure there will be a film sometime. Watch this space. Mm. And um, they, they at that point when they sent that email, they also doubled the ransom demand again to eight million. Wow! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Talk about turning the knife. Is Goodness. It- mm. So they so didn't anyway, pay? No, they didn't pay, no. Um, and they're all nice and recovered and now being protected. So that's quite a lot of effort for them to have gone to for, to not pay. Because like by the time you've gone from $2 million to $8 million, do you think that they actually thought they're probably not going to pay? We're just messing with them at this point. I think they thought they were going to try and get whatever they could and what um, they'd already stolen had value, so they would sell that as well. Yeah. So right. anyway, we, back to how um, they got into the network. So we kept on investigating, and we found a um, on the file server there was this um, application, um, which was just a, a legitimate tool for setting up a proxy connection and it had been installed by the attackers and um, we checked the rest of the network and we found it running on one other machine a Windows 10 endpoint and that had been installed on that machine in just before the Riot attack in January, different accounts used absolutely no connection to Riot as far as we could tell and 
on that machine, we found that um, the day that that had been installed, another bit of malware had been running on that machine. And that bit of malware had been installed back on December 24th. Um, and that was after it was um, installed uh, by another bit of malware that had been executed on December 23rd. Now, that original bit that started all of this, we didn't get confirmation exactly where that came from, but we think it was an email that started. Unfortunately, the, all the records have been lost, all the emails, um, history. So we believe an email came in on December 23rd. The user executed whatever attachment was on it. That installed a downloader. That gives which, a whole new meaning to towards the night before Christmas, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, so that installed a bit of malware, so it connected up to a... Um, a URL hosted in the States and downloaded a bit of malware. Um, that was actually uh, a Visual Basic script, um, which then dropped a PowerShell script onto the machine. That PowerShell script connected up to a different IP address. Um, I think that one was in Bulgaria. And then it installed more malware, eventually leading to on December 29th with the attacker logging into the machine over RDP from the internet. So the initial malware had basically opened up RDP on this machine oh. and allowing the attacker to come in. And this was happening. Um, so they sort probably of, thought they were in a better place than most people because RDP was internal only. Yeah. But once the crooks got internal, then they could do the RDP they thing. ended up, yeah. So um, – and this this user was actually, you know, this was over the Christmas uh, holiday uh, season. So this user wasn't on the machine at all. They'd left it in the office, turned on, and the attackers, they, they came in on the 29th and then the 30th. And um, that's when they installed some more malware. And then, as I said, uh, it sort of went quiet as far as we could tell until around January 9th, which is when they installed the, the proxy application. And then sort of from that point on, we could see them moving to other machines machines and you know uh, eventually gaining an admin account and then the domain admin and then installing mega and then leading to the eventual ransomware attack so the whole thing was um lasting about two months in total um and also happening at the same time as the Riot group were in there doing their thing as well. Um, for the Riot attack, we did briefly investigate that as well, just to eliminate them being connected. And uh, the Riot people had got in in the fairly common method we see of um, an existing infection of TrickBot being on the network, mm. uh, which looks to have been on since at least the beginning of December, um, maybe before that. So, and did that TrickBot itself come from previous malware? it often starts with a thing called Emotet, doesn't it? Yeah. Emotet, TrickBot, Ryuk. We didn't see any evidence of Emotet. It was just TrickBot, but we didn't. We, that wasn't what we were investigating, so we didn't um, do yeah. a, a huge amount of effort on that part. But, um, yeah, definitely TrickBot. So yeah. this really was a happy new year for this company. Golly, mm. one ransomware attack, just got over it, few recovered, mm. not realising there's another bunch of guys lying low thinking, well... <laughs> What worked once might work again. Yeah. And this, um, the reason um, why I thought I'd uh, mention this one today is it works nicely with um, the article you published on, I think it was Doug, you wrote it, the uh, five um, 
was it the five common mistakes? Common mistakes. Yeah. Five things Peter can no longer remember because he's live. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, I mean, those five um, recommendations were basically along the lines of um, patch, proper passwords, um, don't leave RDP open, and um, make sure you have every machine protected. So in this case, the customer, um, well, fair enough, it was the attackers that opened RDP. But, you know, they weren't aware it had happened. Um, Presumably if they'd done a network scan uh, proactively, they would probably have noticed that there was this unexpected way in, wouldn't they? Potentially. It it would have been a hard thing to spot, um, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there are always giveaways. Well, not not always, but normally there are giveaways um, where the attackers have made mistakes along the way, where they've they've run something that did get detected. And that was the the case in this. There were several parts of this that did get detected, but the the admins didn't didn't realise, didn't grasp what was uh, potentially unfolding, uh, and they were just missed. Basically, and there were a number. I can of sort of machines. see that, Peter, because you imagine you, you get a little bit of malware, and you think, "Oh, we've had that before, and we've removed it. Let's move on to the to the next real thing." But actually, what it was was a telltale sign that maybe something was brewing. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't an. It wasn't the beginning and the end of an attack. It was part of the kind of the the probing and putting out feelers that the crooks were doing. Because yeah, they obviously I mean, had a lot of patience. They oh, waited yeah. through somebody else's ransomware attack, for goodness yeah. sake. I, I mean, this, when you have detections in your environment um, by whatever security product you're using, there's kind of two broad categories they fall into. The sort of automated malware where there's no one really on your network. It's just you know software doing what it was designed to do. It just happens to be malicious. And then you've got the more hacking side of things where these were put there deliberately by someone that had you know some level of control over that machine. And being able to identify which of those two scenarios you're in is, is very difficult. Um, I think the sort of the common one I see happening is um, for those people, I'm sure many people listening will know the hacking tool um, Mimikatz. Now, Mimikatz is a thing for stealing passwords and all that kind of sort of credential theft side of these attacks. And it's a very commonly used tool. Now, unless you're doing some sort of pen test or red teaming exercise, you should never really expect to see Mimikatz on your network. So if you do ever see a detection for Mimikatz, you can pretty mm. much guarantee that that was a deliberate action on the behalf uh, on the behalf of an attacker taking a close interest in your network. So, you know, that is just and it, one it's a penetration test. The whole idea is you're supposed to detect it and respond as if it were. Well, yes, yeah, exactly. If they don't tell you first. Yeah. So, I mean, it, as I said, it's, it's hard and there's reasons why, you know, there's a, sort of a shortage of security experts in the industry that can do this kind of work because it, it isn't simple, I'm afraid. Um, so my advice really is just, first of all, you've got to make sure every machine on your network is protected, every single machine, no excuses. doesn't matter how critical it is or how old it is or whatever. If you can't have it protected, it shouldn't be on the network. 
shouldn't uh, be turned on at all, really. Uh, and then once you've got everything protected, which is no easy task, then you've got to actually be paying attention to what's happening on those machines and have processes for investigating and for containing and uh, you know and dealing with these type of threats, not just the ones that are detected, but also the things that aren't detected, um, because that's the kind of things these attackers are going to be using against you. Thanks, Peter. Um, Alice, you've been investigating Facebook's chatbot. I have indeed. But as Mark Sockley is unfortunately not with us today, I am going to start with a question. So how would you guys feel if more of your telephone or in-person exchanges with businesses was replaced with a chatbot? How would I tell? Well, I think at the moment you can tell, can't you? (laughs) Well, especially with in-person and and vocal, I think you probably know. I think if I get the answer I'm looking for, then I don't really mind where I get it from. Yeah. I think it depends. At the moment, most of my experiences with chatbots are usually I'm asking them a very obvious question, like, I need a refund, and they're going to send me in the right direction. Um, If it's anything complicated, I am not interested in talking to a chatbot. It's when you get to that bit where they say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. Could you repeat it? And you, of course, just then you say it with uh, some rude word added, and then the chatbot loses it completely. Um, the other day I m- ordered the wrong oven and I was trying to get it picked up. The and- wrong oven? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, let's not talk about that. And, um, and, uh, it's quite a major blunder, if I may say so. It was. I had to pay £30 for them to come and pick it up. They couldn't get down my road because I lived down quite a small road. The company couldn't get down my road to pick it up. So they said they would call back to the previ- to the office and get- send someone in the afternoon. And the in the afternoon, they called me and said, because of coronavirus restrictions on working, they could no longer pick up this oven that I'd ordered. And in that case, so, so I had to go through quite a long... Uh, process to get it get it refunded and get them to come and pick it up because they had changed their rules in a few hours um uh in that case talking to a chatbot wouldn't have worked no it probably wouldn't have worked but you would have two ovens well i did for a period of time (laughs) so uh facebook ai research has a chatbot called blender which blends several uh conversation skills they say that it outperforms any other chat of its type um with its ability to feel more human. Well, they would say that, though, wouldn't they? <laughs> You're not going to have PR well, saying, yeah. oh, chatbot is not as good as anyone else's. <laughs> so they say it's got the ability to blend empathy, knowledge and personality in one system. So they achieved this by using 9.4 million parameters, uh, which is uh, over three times bigger than the largest existing system. And they use publicly available conversation material from platforms oh. like Reddit. Uh, although experts warn that these kinds of platforms do have their drawbacks, which can be seen in the longer conversations when the chatbot uses offensive <laughs> language, lol, um, and also just makes up facts altogether, which is quite interesting. I can't imagine that they would have got that from Reddit, though. <laughs> Um, so then they evaluated it to benchmark it against other chatbots, including Google's Mina chatbot, which actually hasn't been released yet. Um, but they used roughly 100 publicly released and randomized logs for the evaluation. Um, so they asked, who would you prefer to talk to in a long conversation, Mina or Blender? And which speaker sounds more human? So Again, this is released by Facebook, so yeah, there is an element of PR to this. But 67% people said that Facebook sounded more human and 75% said that they would rather have a long conversation with Blender than Mina. They also said that 49% of people preferred interactions with this chatbot compared to with another human, which is interesting. Wow, um, really? So... 
Yeah, but again, they're going to have asked. It's going to be like a certain level also, of data. I don't know how the, these anything. Were they asking this sort of two months into lockdown, and we're all sick of talking to the people we're stuck with. <laughs> <laughs> I think in lockdown there'd be more people who would be like, "I'd rather have an annoying conversation with a human than an yeah, efficient yeah. one with a robot." True, I'm actually, all for annoying yeah. conversations with humans right now. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Unless you figure that, hey, I'm talking to a chatbot, so we could they tend to go round and round in circles. That's a problem. You can have a nice introduction, but they never. Get yeah, to the they point. Do. That's our idea. So maybe people found, yeah, that's quite good because I know that it's not going to hold it against me if I waste forty-five minutes of their time to see myself. Sort of, like a type of therapy, we can reveal all your secrets. <laughs> it's just a computer, and then of course, Facebook owns them all. But, um, <laughs> well, of course, the first well-known chatbot was Eliza. I think back in the nineteen sixties, and that famously was meant to be a, um, I think, some kind of. Uh, it was meant to be a sort of online psychologist. So that you were primed to expect these probing, r- rambling questions that went round in circles. So maybe that's maybe you're right. Maybe people just figured, yeah, that's I could do with a bit of that. I can say what I like, and nobody will hold it against me. Well, no real person. <laughs> um, so they're still working on this anyway um, to achieve the human level uh, intelligence and dialogue. And as I mentioned earlier, I do find that it completely makes up information and the issues are more apparent. So currently the system that they built is only really good for very short interactions. To be fair though, you're saying they're trying to make it like a human and they're basing it on the fact that the longer you speak to a human it, it starts making up facts and information i mean that sounds fairly realistic to be honest at very already. accurate yeah <laughs> very true so when i was looking at this story it reminded me of the clearview ai story which i'm sure you will remember i covered on the podcast a few weeks ago Um, which was about some facial recognition technology created, which was scraping um, images of people's faces from social media and then compiling it in a searchable database. So if you saw someone on the train, for example, you could put their picture in and then cross-reference it and find out who they were, which was sold to law enforcement and it was quite controversial. Um, And although I don't think this has the same privacy implications that that one did, it did make me think that if um, hackers or criminals got um, this chatbot technology, they could create quite convincing human-like conversations with people and maybe use it in phishing or romance scams, or it could actually be used. Because sometimes we say that the ways that you can see that they're fake is because they make small errors or there's like a language barrier or something. But with a technology like this, you wouldn't necessarily have Mm. those errors. Although remember that the thing they're testing here, they're not trying to pass the Turing test where you can't tell the computer and the human apart. They're just trying to find out if the thing seems human enough that people don't mind talking to it. So I guess the goal of this is not to Mm. pretend to be exactly a human. It's just to be the kind of chatbot that people don't mind dealing with because it would then be more effective. I think if I was speaking to what I knew as a chatbot and it started showing me empathy, I don't think that would help me feel better. (laughs) Actually, you're quite right. You go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, the robots have risen. I've triggered something. I actually think I'd find it weirder. Yeah, Yeah, you would rather that it was like you're talking to a robot, so behave like a robot. I I don't want to talk to a robot that behaves like a human. my Google smart speaker apologises for not understanding me, I just feel anger towards it rather than sympathy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess when you're trying to get that oven collected, Mm. uh, it would be nice if a human said, look, I'm really sorry and blah, 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 and then had a chat about the weather. 
But with the chatbot, you just want it to go, are you coming to collect it? Yes or no is really mm. what you want, also, isn't it? Also, if a, if a chatbot started um, having a conversation with me about the weather, I'd think you, should, you don't care about the weather. At least if I'm talking to someone, a person, I feel like we're invested together. I'm pretty sure a data centre doesn't want to get rained on. but also they haven't said why they developed this software i'm sure there's going to be case studies in mind that they would need to replace long-form human conversations with a human-like chatbot and i think it probably would be used in instances where you're not sure that it's not what is this for is it for their customer service it didn't say it just said research and i imagine like i don't know but i imagine that they would then sell that to companies i mean something they could use it for taking orders on you know you know any scenario where you've got a sort of expected set of questions mm-hmm. be the obvious yeah. place yeah, i guess there's a big difference isn't there between the kind of chat bot where you're trying to sell it on an idea like i want you to collect my oven mm-hmm. and where the chat bot is trying to sell you something <laughs> like hey sign up for this fantastic new service or mm-hmm. you know oh there's malware on your computer you better pay us money so we can come in and fix it well, in some chatbots that I've used before, start with a robot and yeah. then it says connecting you to whoever and then it connects you to a human. Yeah, well, that would be a good trick, wouldn't it? You, you connect them to a fairly poor chatbot and then just a little way and you say connecting to a human and then you upgrade them to the better chatbot, <laughs> hoping to sign yeah. them up a bit. <laughs> pay for the premium chatbot service, yeah. And, of course, the I mean, the advantage of this kind of technology if you were using it for like romance scams and all this kind of stuff, even if it's only, you know, 1% effective, it's a lot more scalable than actually having a room full of yeah. people trying to do it. Yeah. So True. that 1% could yeah. become very valuable. And that 1% kind of come out in the wash, don't they? Because they're the people who carry on talking where others would have hung up. So you don't even have to do any investigation to figure out who's been, who, who's, who likes talking to the chatbot. They kind of define themselves as this works on yeah. me. Well, and also, I don't want to say that this is um, general of all of the older generation, but like we might be more familiar with thinking, okay, this sounds like a robot that I'm talking to. But like my grand, for example, would expect a chatbot to sound really like or seem like really robotic. Whereas if she's mm. typing a, into a box that says, "Oh, great answer," I'll look, investigate this for you. Like it might sound a bit more yeah. like yeah, believable to certain people. Mm. Yeah, particularly if it's got time and it's quite calm and it doesn't doesn't get rattled like mm. the, we, we wrote about on naked security there was that guy in the u.s who runs a thing called the jolly roger telephone service yeah. and that's a bot that you put telemarketers non-chatbot telemarketers <laughs> through to and it's um when you listen to some of his recordings it's amazing what he was able to do with very very little basically just wait for the silences and then go mm-hmm, yes it was just egg them on egg them on and egg them on and then interrupt and say oh sorry i i kind of lost the thread can you start again and things as simple as that oh my god that's so <laughs> if funny. you listen to some of those they're quite incredible he, he's got all these excuses why oh i lost the thread and it's amazing because this person's trying to sell them something they patiently start at the beginning again and then his wife comes in and he says oh hang on we've got a crisis in the kitchen wait a minute he comes out oh i fixed it can you start again and, you know, I guess if you're saying what people want to hear or they think they know how to react to, some people just naturally plough on, particularly if yeah. it's in their interest to do so. Yeah. So I'm not surprised people get mm. suckered in by these things. Mm. Cool. Thank you, Alice. No Where can we uh, find you on social media, Alice? 
Oh, you can find me as Ali Rouge on Twitter. Paul Ducklin. At Duckblog on Twitter. And I am at P Ducklin on Instagram. Uh, I am just on Twitter at Alt Shift Print Screen. And I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter. And we are, of course, Naked Security. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Duck, how's your f- weekly Facebook lives going on your exercise? Uh, well, the weather's been pretty nice last week compared to the rain and wind of the week before. So I'm enjoying them a lot, and I hope people are I'm trying to cover issues that you know have just come up in a, in a, in a made a bit of a storm during the week to give some simple advice that people can still say stay sh- so that people can still say. St- Oh. <laughs> so that people can stay secure. <laughs> so people can stay secure, and uh, you also answer questions, don't you? Yes. Although it's quite hard to read them on the tiny little phone screen oh, while you're yeah. standing in a field, but I do my best. You do. You do a great job. And uh, if you don't like Facebook, we also post them to YouTube. If you don't like Google or Facebook, I can't help you. <laughs> um, <laughs> We've been nominated for this podcast and for various other things like our, our website and our Instagram uh, for at the European Security Blogger Awards. So if you like what we do, please vote for us. Yes, um, please. Or vote for anyone else. Vote for whoever you like, but um, don't forget us. Um, uh, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com for all the latest security news. And until next time, stay, stay. stay.